Well, if you haven't already, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 55. I'll show it on the screen, but it's uh, better for everybody if you have it on your lap and show it on the screen. So that's why we do both. But uh, I want to start by suggesting what I think is a somewhat unpopular opinion. And that is that when people walk away from their faith, I think they walk away from it on account of their emotions, not on account of their intellect. In other words, say when a high school student goes away and goes to college and the pressure's on and they're tempted to uh, turn away from the faith of their parents, I think more often than not, though there is a significant intellectual challenge to their faith in college, that more often than not, there is a more significant challenge to their faith by virtue of the choices that they make and the adult problems that come at them and the pressure and the stress of coming of age. And I think that that shipwrecks more people than the intellectual arguments against Christianity. And I think that in part because I think the intellectual arguments for Christianity are very strong. And there, there are you know, a dozen people in this room that would be happy to talk to you if you have some of those challenges. But I think that the thing that's harder to pin down, the thing that's harder to get away from is the fact that life doesn't go like we think it should go. And when it doesn't go like I want it to go, what am I going to do? How am I going to react then when the pressure is on? Can my faith handle it? That, I think, is the question that we all need to address. And and I, I, for one, want to prepare young people for when they go away to college. Not merely that their faith is intellectual enough but that their God is sufficient so that if they sink their roots down deep into Him, they don't need to fear when adult problems come, when friends turn away, when they lose a job, when they don't get into the college they want. Whatever it may be, God is good for that. And see, if we just skim along the surface, we don't really admit the problems of life, and we don't really look for the substance in our faith in God that we would otherwise have. And that's what I want to point you toward today. I want to point you to the fact that even though your circumstances might be completely lousy, your God is still good. That even though your world seems to be coming apart, the center can hold. And it's worth hanging on to. That, I think, is what Psalm 55 is about. It addresses the question, what do you do when the pressure is on? What do you do when you have problems you can't solve? When you have people against you? When you're hurt deeply and cut to the heart? What do you do? And I think that the what do you do question is the one that is addressed here 
because that's the way that he takes it. In verse 6, he says, Oh, I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I'd fly away and be at rest. I don't know about you. I mean, I don't think about the doves too much, but I totally think about getting away. I totally don't want to be there when things go badly. I totally want to avoid it and I want to escape and I want to get out of there. And that's, that's what this psalm addresses. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I'd fly away and be at rest. Yes, I'd wander far away. I'd go lodge in the wilderness. Selah. Think about that. Admit it. That life doesn't always go like you think it ought to go. That bad things don't always get better. That people close to you hurt you. That happens. Selah. I would be in a hurry to find shelter from the raging wind and tempest. All of the things that add pressure and make it feel like there's a storm outside. I just want to get out of that. I want to get away. I want to go hide in a cave, you know, light a fire, and let the world go on without me. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the kind of problems that don't go away. So if the problems don't go away, maybe I can go away. Maybe that would solve it for me. And so, I want to suggest to you, and this is what I think he does in the psalm, that there are better ways of dealing with that kind of pressure, that kind of stress, that kind of chaos and pain than simply running away. There are better ways to deal with the problems of life than medicating it. There are better ways of dealing with the hurts that we receive than simply ignoring it, avoiding it, or pretending it's not there. And that is what Psalm 55 Addresses. The title over it says, To the choir master with stringed instrument, a masculine of David. A masculine is just a song to instruct. So he's trying to teach us something here. He's trying to give us insight into the way that uh, things of God work. And so he begins. He begins by telling us what we do when things don't work. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not Yourself from my plea for mercy. That's the place to start. That's where you start when life falls apart around you, when things don't work, when there's pain that you can't escape from. You start by going to God. Give ear to my prayer, O God. Hide not Yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me. Answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. I love that. They don't really teach you how to complain to God in Sunday school. They didn't teach me that. I'm just going to say. Right? I'm restless in my complaint. You see, if we, if we pretend that 
that the world is supposed to be all sunshine and rainbows when you believe in God, and then when you find out it's not, that makes it very hard to continue to believe. If we say, oh, well, God, I just pray, and if I use the right words or the right tone of voice, or I fold my hands or close my eyes or bow my head, whatever I need to do, God will hear me. This gives me some indication you can get it all wrong. You don't have to say it right. You don't even have to have a good attitude all the time when you pray. But, you know which direction to turn. That's what I think he's talking about. Attend to me and answer me. I'm restless in my complaint. And so he complains to God. I mean, maybe you're different from me. Okay, I'm just, I can concede that. Maybe you love the way God runs the world all the time. Maybe it seems like it works for you. Maybe your path is all smooth and easy and just like you want it to be. Mine's not. And so, when it's not, what do I do? I have a little conversation with the Lord. That's, that's what He's telling us, right? I have a conversation with Him and say, you know, if I were up in heaven running things, I'd do it a little differently. And we have conversation. And I think that's the invitation. That's what David does. That's what Psalm 55 is. It is that conversation with God about how life isn't turning out like I'd want it to. And so, why does he pray here? Why does he pray in Psalm 55? He prays because he has problems. Okay, that's easy enough. But I'm, I'm going to suggest that the psalm presents us with three different, um, you might say, concentric rings of problems. Some that are more external and some that are very internal. And sort of cover the bandwidth in between. And normally, I like to like start at the front and end at the back of a psalm or a passage of Scripture when I talk about it because I want you to see how it's structured because I think the structure is helpful, except when it's not. And here in Psalm 55, it's not that helpful. Because what it's like in Psalm 55, it's, it's like he's in just this utter distress and there is this wave that crashes over him. And then there's another wave and then the first wave comes back and then there's another wave. And he just is crushed by wave after wave. And then he has wave after wave of response and it's not really easy to have point one, point two, and point three here. But he does have uh, at least three different problems that he presents for us to deal with. Here's the first one, and I'd say it's probably on the outside. Because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble on me, and in their anger they bear a grudge against me. So you can think about this as, I mean, King David wrote this and he's there in the city. And so this first concentric ring is on the outside. They're outside the city. These are the enemies. They're making all kinds of noise. They're rattling their swords. Their horses are making noise. Their chariots are, you know, squeaking or whatever chariots do. And there's all kinds of pressure from the outside on the king. He says, they drop trouble on me. I just, that kind of makes me smile. They drop trouble. And I thought, 
What was that like? I, I remember as a kid there were, when we would find a, like a like stagnant little pond there and there'd be these little water skippers on top of the water. I don't know if you've ever had those. And I, I would grab little rocks, okay? I probably shouldn't admit to this. But I'd see them over there and I'd see if I could bomb them with these little rocks. And just, you know, and I'd come close and they'd skitter away and I'd toss one over there and they'd skitter back. That's the kind of thing the enemies are doing, right? They're dropping trouble. Boom, boom, boom. And so there's pressure. and it's, It could be any kind of trouble. I mean, some of you run into trouble at work where uh, there are layoffs, where your coworkers are under personal pressure which makes the whole team malfunction. And there's all kinds of trouble. That's what he's talking about. My heart is, within, is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. The pressure is significant. And I can't escape it and it makes me think that you know, I'd be better off dead or life is over. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. When I say, how do you deal with negative feelings and emotions? I mean, he's talking about, I think, a a whole range of emotions. And I don't want to talk so much about fear right now because next week, Psalm 56, is all about fear. So, come back next week. But it's part of it, right? Even, even if there's other negative emotions, fear sneaks in. It might be the fear of other people. It might be the fear of um, the future. It might be the fear of what you have to do next. Or difficult conversation. It could be the fear of someone who hates you. The fear is part of those negative emotions. And he admits that. And you need to admit it too. It's part of life. The second area that he has when he gets around to his um, admitting his troubles are a little closer to home. He said, Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. So for the king, the enemies are outside. Now it's moved closer. And now it's in the city. He's about to say that it's on the walls and in the ramparts. And they run around the city and they cause all sorts of trouble. Iniquity and trouble are within it. Day and night, they go around the city. Okay, this is the picture of, you might say, trouble that's on the news, right? It's, it's the news that is disheartening and hurtful. I mean, seriously. Some of you watch Fox News to the point that this affects you spiritually. You watch so much of it that the world is completely coming apart and coming to grips with it is almost impossible. Finding a solution for it is next uh, to impossible. And so, it just weighs on you. There's just this pressure because, because the um, things are going badly at the border. Because there's been somebody murdered in Portland. Because there's been this or that. And, and whatever it is, it's just causing you to be uneasy. And I don't know about you, but I, I realized even as I was working on this that, you know, I'm really happy if I don't see any news. 
I can go all day, all week, all month, all year and never watch the news. And sometimes I can even see it and be okay. But when my soul is not doing well, when I'm somehow otherwise agitated because I've got other pressure on me, then if I see the news, I just about come completely apart. It's like, ah, oh, even that? See, that's where he's at right now. He's got the pressure from outside. He's got the chaos here inside the city. Ruins in the midst. Oppression and fraud don't depart from its marketplace. See, here's a, here's a new problem. All of a sudden, he throws in the marketplace, right? All of a sudden, now it's economic. You know, now it's the price of oil. All of a sudden, now it's the GDP. All of a sudden, now it's all of those things that affect your pocketbook. Yeah, there's pressure. I don't like that. Neither does David. And so you've got this exterior ring outside the city. You've got what's happening on the walls. You've got what's happening in the marketplace. And so then you have, I think, what's in the center. You have what's in the center of his stress and um, difficulty here. He said, for it's not an enemy who taunts me. It's not the outside thing that's my biggest problem. Because I can bear that. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. It is my familiar friend friend. It's the person I love. The person I trusted. It's the person who is close to me. It's the one is my business partner. It's my childhood friend. The one I grew up with. All of a sudden now, the pain is not outside. And it's not just that there's chaos close by. It's like my very most trusted person has betrayed me. We used to take sweet counsel together. I think he's just remembering and reflecting on the sweetness of this friendship. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. It was a spiritual friendship. There may be no pain greater than the pain of being betrayed by a close friend. By having... A close friend promise you something and then fail you. By having a secret that's not kept. By having somebody draw the line and say, I don't want you back. That's, that's a problem all of us feel at some level. Some of you felt that very significantly. And it is. It's just, it's just like he said. If it was, if it was somebody far away, that would be easy. Compared to somebody close, the closer the person, the harder the rub. There, some of you know that we sort of prepare our messages in community. There were 
seven pastors here on Thursday working on preaching this at, at seven different pulpits around the South uh, metro area. And of those seven, three of them, three of them had to ask the rest of us, how are we even going to talk about this? Because they had been so recently betrayed, so painfully betrayed that they didn't think that they could even talk about it in public without it being a complete disaster. That's what he's talking about. So it's not just, it's not just the exterior pain, it's not just medium pain, it's this deep heart pain that cuts you right down the middle. What do you do about that? See, when that happens, do, are you prepared for that? Is your faith in God gonna hold you? Is the God you believe in significant enough to handle that? Are your roots deep enough that the wind of betrayal doesn't blow you over? That's the question. And so he's got really this whole range of pain from outside all the way to the very center of his heart. And he says, now what? What do I do? And he prays, God, give me mercy. And he complains. And it's really, he's not, he's not really even done. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his promise. And then who, who doesn't recognize this? His speech was smooth as butter. Yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. See, that's, that's what we're up against. Christianity's not made for life that's easy. It's made for life that's hard. See, there is, there's just an unfortunate and I believe false uh, version of so-called Christianity that says once you become a Christian, your problems will go away. God wants you to be healthy. He wants you to have money. He wants your life to be great. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I believe in a Savior whose life wasn't great, who didn't end up, who ended up on a cross, didn't end up on a throne, didn't end up, you know. Driving a really nice car, he ended up riding a donkey to his execution. And so you just have to be careful what you're expecting and what you're believing. Let death steal over them. So this is his prayer now. So you'll get a little flavor, right? You get a little flavor of how he feels about this situation. Let death steal over them. Let them go to Sheol alive. Sheol is another word for the grave. Let them go to the grave alive. Okay, I think he has in mind the story in the Old Testament where Korah and Dathan and others rebelled against Moses and Moses said, okay, let's, let's decide between us and the ground opens up beneath them and their tents and their families, everything falls in and the ground closes up again. 
He has in mind God's judgment on these people, even His former friend, right? Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is their dwelling place and it's in their heart. It's not like, they're, not like they made one unintentional mistake. This is full-on opposition to a friend and to God Himself. But I call to God and the Lord will save me. See, He doesn't leave it with, you know, let them go down to the grave alive. That's not a good place to leave your prayers just in case you're wondering. He comes back and He affirms, but I call to God and the Lord will save me. I'm going to hang on to God and He will save me. And he affirms His confidence in what God and who God is and what God will do. Evening and morning and at noon. There's no better way to say the whole day, right? I utter my complaint and I moan. And He hears my voice. And He hears my voice, you see. It's not that He hears my voice because I've said it right. He hears my voice even though it's my most bitter complaint. And I never cease complaining about it. See, I just want to invite you to have that kind of relationship with the Lord where if you're, if you're happy, you can, you can tell Him so. If you're disappointed, you can tell Him that too. But evening and morning and noon, I utter my complaint and moan. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. And notice again how he starts back at the outside. This battle, these enemies that are against me, I'm going to be okay. He affirms the character of God that he's going to be okay. God will give ear. He hears the rattling of the swords. He hears the noise in the city and the chaos. He gives ear and He'll humble them. He who is enthroned from of old. I just love that. He who is enthroned from of old. Your problem is not the first one God has seen. Your heartache is not the first that God has felt. God has been around for a long, long time. And He knows what it's like to be betrayed by a friend. He knows what it's like to be kissed by somebody who sat next to Him the night before. He knows what it's like to have all kinds of pressure and everyone trying to trick Him and betray Him and trap Him. He knows what it's like to have enemies who would crucify Him. And He too, Jesus too, appealed to God who is enthroned from of old. Somebody told me the other day, he said, this isn't your first rodeo. This isn't God's first rodeo. You know, God, God has been 
around. And God has rescued person after person after person. And He will rescue you too. Because, well, first of all, Selah. So, think about the fact that God has seen this before. Think about that. Because they do not change and don't fear God. This is the key, I think, to the whole psalm, right? This is the admission of the real problem. And the real problem is that I don't like my circumstances. I don't like my life. And it doesn't change. It's not Changing. And the people that are causing me problems, they don't fear God. That's the problem, you see. Wouldn't it be great if every time we complain, or every, that God like, oh, oh yes, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll fix that. But He doesn't. The question is, how are you going to deal with those negative feelings when the circumstances that caused them don't change? They don't fear God. That's what it brings us to. And so here is the climax, I think. Here is the, here's the edge of the knife. Right here. I had said at the beginning, you pray about it. Well, blah, blah, blah. What would you expect me to say, right? I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to say pray about it. But cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. Cast, this isn't his prayer. This is his advice. This is his, this is what you do with the pressures of life. You cast your burden on the Lord and he'll sustain you. Now, there are a couple of things about this that I want you to notice. The first thing is it says, cast your burden on the Lord. And the burden, I don't, I don't like the word burden. I don't think it's a great translation of that. It's sort of like I have uh, a Santa Claus sack on my back, right? That of all my problems that are somehow external to me. And he says, you cast out on the Lord and you come up and you throw it down. Which is not that bad of a picture. You, you do want to cast them away, right? But I think probably a better translation of this word burden would be your lot or the lot of your lot in life. Cast your lot in life on the Lord. See, because one of the things that I've learned is that my problems are never isolated. I never just have one problem. If it's a financial problem, it might be, it might be because I went into the ministry instead of into medicine. It might be because a car broke down. It might be because there was student debt and a mortgage. It might be because I, you know, I lost my job. There might be all kinds of things that are related that cause me problems. And I'm not just casting this one burden on the Lord. I'm throwing the entire lot in life on the Lord. You see, for me, that, that's really helpful. Because who I am is my problem, isn't it? <laughs> and all of my history is my problem. And I'm just going to throw that on the Lord and say, oh God, won't you take this? Won't you take this? And when He takes it, He will sustain you. The pressure on the outside, the chaos close at hand, the pain in the heart, He'll sustain you through all of it. You throw all of it on Him. 
Cast your burden on the Lord. And again, it just uses that term, cast your burden on the Lord. It means some of you are fishermen, right? How do you know if you've actually, you know, casted your, you know, bait or your fly in the water? It's not in your boat anymore. Right? It's not that hard. You know it's not in your boat. And the thing about it is, and that's part of the reason, this is a little bigger project than just, you know, casting a fly outside the boat, right? It's like, I cast it out and it comes back in. I cast it out again. And I just want it to not be in the boat. And so I keep giving it to the Lord. That's His idea here. I continually cast my burden on the Lord and He promises to sustain me. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. And so I give Him my lot in life. I give Him the the pain in my heart. I give Him the chaos around me. I give Him the pressure from the outside. I give it all to Him. And He won't suffer the righteous to be moved. What a great encouragement. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm ready to wobble all over the place and He holds me fast. And it ends this way. But you, O God, will cast them down. Into the pit of destruction, men of blood and treachery, they shall not live out half their days. He affirms what he knows about the righteousness of God. That God will make things right. Reminds me of what we talked about when we were in Romans uh, chapter 8. That, you know... um, Pray for your enemies. Do good to them. By doing that, you're going to heap coals of fire on their head. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Give room for vengeance. All of that. It's God's work. I've already tossed it on Him, right? I've cast all of those things on Him. I'm going to let Him make it right. And God making it right instead of me making it right. Two very different things. I can be much more confident of its rightness if God's going to handle it, and if I'm going to handle it. And that's what he says. You know, God will take care of this. In a very real sense, you know, God's got this. Not in a cliche sense, not in the sense that, oh, well, that's what I say when I don't know what else to say. It's like, no, I have cast it all on Him and I can't do anything else. But God will. And so he trusts in God. And that's what he affirms at the end. But I will trust you. But I will trust in you. See, the ultimate affirmation that we have is that our roots do go down deep enough that we know that God will redeem us. We know that God is enthroned from of old. That we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that He has proven His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we hang on. I will trust in you. It's the glorious problem, the glorious promise that we have is not that when you trust in Him all the pain goes away. All the problems go away. 
the glorious promise that you have is that He is with you. The glorious promise that you have is that He is still sovereign on the throne like He has always been and your problem and no other problem throughout the world will shake Him off His throne. And so you can trust in Him. See, Peter, when he talks about the Old Testament in um, the second epistle, he says, we have this word made more certain. And I just want to affirm to you that this is good. You know, that God will cast them down. That He will sustain you. He won't let the righteous be moved. This is good. But it's more certain than that. Because you know of the betrayal of Jesus. You know of His enemies who crucified Him. You know that He died and He rose again in the resurrection promise that all of us believe when we believe in Jesus is that one day God will make all things right. That one day all of those tears caused by the betrayal of the friends will be wiped away. And pain and sadness will be no more. You see, we have a resurrection hope. So that this hope that David talked about, this trust in you that he affirms, is more certain than it would be if you had read this before you knew about Jesus. Because it is the death and resurrection of Jesus that makes this promise even more sure. If it can be more sure than He who is enthroned of old, it's more sure. Because He who is enthroned of old has raised His Son from the dead. And you and I have that kind of God who will sustain us. We can go to Him. We can complain to Him. We can moan morning, evening, and noon. And He hears it. And He loves you. And He will hold you fast. He will never let the righteous be moved. My hope and prayer is that this does help you trust in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we affirm. We affirm Your goodness. We affirm Your greatness. Oh, God, what hope we have that You are enthroned from of old. That we're not, we're not here trying to make our way on our own. That we're not merely the sum of our previous choices. But that You are God and You sit enthroned from eternity past. That our problems right now won't knock You off Your throne. That You love us. That You're not going to allow us to be um, brought down. You'll sustain us. And so God, we trust in You and we do this morning. I, I can't do this for everyone, but Father, I want to do it for myself. I want everyone to do it for themselves. We cast our, our lots in life on You. All that we are, all that we've been, all that we will be, we just want to give it to You and trust that You will sustain us. And so Father, we need Your help. Would you be good to us and help us to trust you? In Christ's name I pray. Amen.